never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. Most of the intelligence community doesn't believe he exists. The ones that do call him the Winter Soldier. I'm Batman. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that, just like every Star Wars fan out there, has just Googled the word Boken. Because that's what we do when Star Wars says a new word. My name is Drill, your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother Peter. How's it going, man? Here. Uh, pretty good, pretty good. You? I'm fantastic. I just got out of, out of Ahsoka, and um, yeah. So when I say got out of Ahsoka, I didn't go see it at the theater. I just literally turned off Disney Plus in time to sit down in front of a microphone. <laughs> so. Right, right. <laughs> nice. Um, how was your week? Um, just, uh, crazy busy, but, uh, fun stuff. I don't, I haven't done anything super exciting, unfortunately, but, uh, it is what it is. Um, how about you? <laughs> um, I had a, uh, this past weekend. So after we recorded, I got to watch, I finally got to watch the Barbie movie. So I'll talk about that momentarily. Um, and then Sunday I had a really great D and D session with the adults. Um, yeah, here I am. So nice. I um I residually watched Barbie, um, but I wasn't going to talk about it tonight because it's one of those things where my wife puts it on TV and I start watching it. And then, you know, halfway through the, th- the first act, my kid is begging me to, like, play Legos with him or do something else. So I wasn't really able to pay attention to the movie as much as I would like. So. I can maybe comment a little bit on it, Drew, but uh, unfortunately not too crazily this time. But um, I could jump into my other watching and reading um, if you want. Uh, well, what did you watch? <laughs> yeah. Go uh, so. so I'm a couple weeks behind, but I finally finished watching um, My Adventures with Superman, the uh, animated oh, series. I still got a cut on that, but all right. Yeah, um, so this series is 10 episodes long, um, and for the most part, I think it was really good. Like, there's a couple episodes that feel a little fillery, but overall, it's like a pretty concise storyline. And uh, the way the series concludes is actually pretty cool, because there's this thing where you have Amanda Waller's playing a role in this story, You have other military generals and whatnot playing a role in the story. And uh, it's revealed later in the series, this is a bit of a spoiler, but there has been a uh, Kryptonian sighting, dare I say, attack on um, Earth soil before Superman was brought up and raised here. You know, like there has been like a, uh, I don't know if they actually clarify if it's General Zod, but there has been a attempted kryptonian invasion and uh, i mentioned earlier this is going to get into spoiler territory a little bit so I, I apologize but it's kind of like this unwritten thing because 
there's this Kryptonian attempted invasion, and the way it happens, there's some tech that's left behind. And I've talked about this before, but this series uses a lot of uh, almost all the villains. Almost all the villains they have are tech based. Like yeah, everybody, you, you have that before. Yeah, and uh, what's funny is as you watch the series, you realize that like at first you're thinking like, okay, Deathstroke is heading up this group of people, and then you keep watching and you realize, oh no, it's actually Amanda Waller who's watching or who's like overseeing this group of people with these tech-based um, abilities and robotics and stuff they're using to be villains, and then you realize. Oh no, this is like literally the Suicide Squad. It's just done in a weird way with Superman villains. And then you keep watching and you're like, now this isn't explained explicitly, but I feel like this is the case. All of those robotics that all these villains are using, my theory is that it is uh, reverse engineered Kryptonian tech because there has been like a Kryptonian encounter in the past. And it it seems like that's really hinted at, but never actually said. And it's this thing where it all just feels so tightly knit together that I thought was really cool. It's like every bit, as much as people complained that they turned um, characters like Livewire or Silver Banshee or even Parasite, as much as people complained that these characters were turned to be more mecha, me more robotic, it seems to have this like really concise reason for it and that's what i actually really enjoyed about the series this isn't define. this isn't the superman series to de define superman like i would argue that would probably be like new adventures of superman but um this is a series that is kind of a little bit of a different take has a little bit of an anime flavor but when you actually look at what they did and accept it as being something different you can see that like they actually had a really smart outline for the whole thing. And that's what I've really loved about this series so far. Uh, like I said, it's 10 episodes. Um, it leaves you on a cliffhanger. And right at the end, they reveal two characters. You get to see two more villains from the Superman mythos. And these are two of Superman's most well-known villains that you get to see. And that's awesome because it's hinting at what's next to come for next for next season. But my one complaint is that, like I said, a lot of these characters are very mecha looking. A lot of them use robotics and stuff. It gets to a point where every character is tech based that they all start to look the same. And this is something that I saw people complaining about online where you have like these well-known <laughs> Superman characters that are revealed and you're just like, the problem is I'm starting to have a trouble or a hard time telling them apart from one from one another and when it comes to uh certain really big characters when their designs in the show don't even use the color scheme that that character is really known for it uh -oh. really makes me lose a little bit of confidence in the uh character design for the show you know, so it's, it's sorry not to interrupt you but it's funny you say that because when you look at literally any comic book property and we're always constantly like, put them in the real suit, put them in the real suit. Yes. And when they don't, when they don't, a lot of times they're at least using the color palette of the character's actual known. Yes, costume. yes. You know, like, I don't think they ever really put Hawkeye in the Hawkeye costume, but they always put him in the proper color palette. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, and, and that's a, a really good point. And I think that is something to think about when you keep in mind how they're devi- design or designing the characters from the show. But my thing is, or what I think they were doing is all of the Kryptonian characters have a certain color scheme to them, which is really cool. But then when you introduce other villains that are maybe allied with the Kryptonians and they aren't using their traditional color scheme, they kind of start to look really generic. And that was the problem with it. And I'm going to leave it there because I feel like I've already said too much about this series. But this series is a ton of fun. Don't believe any of the hate. I thought this was an awesome, an awesome series, as long as you accept that it's not the uh, defining end all be all version of uh, Superman. Um, I don't know if you have any questions or any other comments on that, Drew. I did watch a couple other things, though. Uh, not directly because I need to sink my teeth into that show and I just feel bad I haven't yet because I know you want my review. Um, so yeah. Well, I, I think you'll, you'll give it a couple episodes and then I'm hoping you're like me where you kind of see like some of the cleverness of it. And, uh, it's just kind of a really lighthearted fun watch. And so this one was refreshing to watch week to week, but, um, talking about lighthearted and fun, the next thing I watched is completely the opposite (laughs) All right. um, I watched a, I watched a horror movie and uh, I don't know if I would have actually watched this one, but uh, over the weekend, um, I just kind of had uh, a day to myself with nothing to do. And one of my friends on Discord Cord recommended the uh, movie X. Um, this is like a newer A24 horror movie. Uh, Drew, I don't uh, know. Do you have any think, idea what this is? No, but we were talking about it. So you finally got we did talk about it. I want to say maybe a month ago. Um but you actually got a chance to watch it now? Oh, we actually talked about this film? I know you brought it up, and maybe it's because you saw a trailer or someone told you to watch it or something. It was a very brief conversation. Or, you huh. know what? I'm confusing this with a conversation I had off the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that what it is? Because <laughs> I actually wasn't really that familiar, but it's possible I might have forgotten something. But uh, this is a movie that, first of all, it seems like it's very seedy very debaucherous because this is a movie about a group of people who go out to make an adult film and they do it on rented rented property at this uh farmhouse that they're staying at and uh, i don't want to give anything away like this it's really hard not to give anything away but i was expecting this to be first of all it's an a24 movie so we're talking about like a24 has done like uh you know the witch and uh midsummer and hereditary and they tend to really do or really excel at the sort of elevated horror sort of concept and this movie i expected it to be very um very gratuitous with violence and nudity which it was but i also expected it to kind of give me a gross feeling but be like intellectually really sound and i was actually pleasantly surprised at how accessible this film felt because i watched it and by the time you're like two or two thirds of the way through it starts to feel like your standard slasher movie it starts to feel like okay i'm watching the villain that they placed in the story taking people out and uh it there's some gross parts there's some weird parts but none of it was like that saw or hostile like none of it was like that torture porn level of just like i can't watch this it was more like a lot more of a fun gross out movie than i expected and it felt like the type of movie that you could sit around with a group of friends and albeit this is a very hard r-rated movie 
Um, but it felt more accessible. It, it felt like if you had a group of adult friends, you could sit around and watch and you could laugh and you'd get grossed out about it. But it felt like kind of like the same feeling when you watch one of like those old 80s horror slasher movies that, you know, we all grown up yeah. with and love. So that's what I loved about it was it just felt a lot more refreshing. And I kind of thought I was getting in for something really gross feeling. And it wasn't that at all. And uh, it was one of those things where I just trusted my friend's opinion who suggested it. Uh, the last thing I'll say is this is a movie that takes place during the 70s. I don't know if it's early or late 70s, but it deals a lot with um, sort of like Bible Belt, uh, Southern culture and stuff like that. And I thought this movie was going to go a very similar route to, you know, a movie like Red State, where there was going to be a very big religious angle to everything. And yeah. uh, the movie takes a completely different take on what they were going for. And that's something I thought was refreshing, too, because they really make it feel like you're, you're being set up for a religious zealotry sort of angle with the uh, villains. And it's really not that at all. So that's what I thought was awesome. So. Again, not for kids. <laughs> like everybody should be 18 if they watch this movie. But I was just, I was pleasantly surprised with uh, this one as well. Um, and yeah, other than that, I watched Ahsoka. So I don't know if you have any. Oh yeah, you wanted to talk about Barbie too. So I don't know well, what else you got this week. So let's. So yeah. So first, let me talk about Barbie real quick because I finally got to see it because I did not get to do the Barbenheimer in the theater and go see it that way. I had I had to wait, but that's okay. Um, here's what I'll say about Barbie. First off, it is an incredibly, incredibly smart film. It knows what it th knows what it is. It knows what it's trying to accomplish. It's very clear that the filmmaker, Greta Gerwig, the writers, directors, everybody, they had, they knew what the assignment was and they went in to make this movie. Um, they took a lot of risks, um, in terms of dialogue and everything. Like they make fun of Mattel heavily and Mattel, like, endorsed and was a part of the filmmaking process. So that was interesting, that they were willing that they were willing to make fun of themselves, which was great. Um, they poke fun at a lot of political stuff. So it's hard. I feel like it's hard to talk about this movie and cover the political part of it without upsetting a lot of different groups of people. And I don't want to say the wrong thing, um, because there were things that were brought up that I agree with, and there were things that I brought up that I disagree with. And then I was I was like, ooh, that's a little hypocrisy. But you know what I mean? It's yeah. interesting how the movie plays out and the message they're trying to get across. And ultimately, it's a wonderful film. Um, Ryan Gosling absolutely steals the film. Like, absolutely steals yeah. it. And um, it's... I I loved ev like every bit of Ken's story and like the whole Ken thing was fantastic. There's um there's an incredible moment with um, Margot Robbie sitting on a bench with an old woman and they have this like really touching moment. And I found out that the old woman in the scene is actually the daughter of the creator of Barbie. I thought that was an awesome little Easter egg. Just oh, cool. Um, the uh the song and dances and all that stuff. It was just, it was a ton of fun. Barbie land was even, was really cool uh, to see how they put all that stuff together. Um, seeing like when, when they're at the beach scenes in the trailer, um, it's really interesting that the waves at the, on the water are not moving. They're plastic because you're, <laughs> right. you're in Barbie land. You're technically in a toy world. Um, 
when I saw the trailer originally, I re- I told myself, I'm like, this is, it's essentially the Lego movie. I knew that right away. I'm like, after I saw the trailer, I'm like, it's the Lego movie. And, and, in, a, and in a way, it kind of is the Lego movie um, in terms of the toys and then the real world and then the toys and so on. Um, and it, it was just, a, it's just a really good, smart movie. And there's moments that are hilarious and funny and you'll laugh, you'll cry. There's touching moments. It's, it's a, it's literally almost a perfect movie. Um, one of the things I thought was really clever is, um, so Barbie and Ken leave Barbie land to go to the real world because Barbie has to find out I'm going to spoil this. The movie's been out long enough. A lot of people have seen it. Whatever. Barbie starts having these thoughts of existential dread and like thoughts of death and stuff. And she doesn't know why. So she goes and talks to weird Barbie and weird Barbie is the Barbie that got played with too hard where the little kid like cut her hair or drew on her face (laughs) and like that kind of stuff. Uh, Weird Barbie's played by Kate McKinnon. Couldn't have been better cast. Um, so anyway, Barbie's talking to her and Kate McKinnon tells her, I'm like, well, you're going to have to go find the girl who's playing with you and find out why she's so sad. You know what I mean? So you, you got you kind of can see the like uplifting story coming. So Barbie's like, I'm going to I'm going to the real world. And Ken's like, I'm going to go with you. So they go. And the difference is, is in Barbie land, the guys are secondary. The women rule everything because it's Barbie. Land. <laughs> but when they get to the real world, you learn about the patriarchy and that men are more in charge than women. And yes, we have feminisms and all that stuff, but it's more the men in charge of stuff. And Ken's like, hold on a second. This is what it's like here. What the heck? So Ken thinks he's going to bring all these ideas back to Barbie land and take over Barbie land because the Ken's should be in charge. (laughs) Um, When they go back to Barbie land and Ken has completely changed everything. There's this great bit where Ken has a song. And I'm not talking about the Ken song where they sing and dance, because that's a great moment. But he's got a song that is all about how he feels about Barbie. And when and the song he's singing is Push by Matchbox 20. Right. (laughs) And what's (laughs) what's brilliant about using that song in the I'll push you around lyrics is that Rob Thomas wrote that song about a girl who pushed him around and treated him badly. And then he was singing it. So the song in Barbie, because it's a song that's actually flipped and written backwards, it's a real meta moment in the movie. And I thought that was incredible because then you see Ken singing that song to Barbie and it's about how Barbie pushed him around. (laughs) You know what I mean? I just like, wow, what a choice. Um, Yeah. yeah, I just thought the movie was really smart. It's really good. Um, It's. It's felt like two hours. That's the only thing I have. That's the only big negative to me. But I was also kind of tired when I was watching it. So I feel like it can't be that big of a negative and I got to let it go. Um, but yeah, no, I really liked the movie overall. Um, and then I watched Ahsoka. Um, this is an episode that I have been waiting for since the beginning. Um, what did you think about it? First thoughts? And then we'll go from there. Oh, man. I like I just watched this. Um, I don't even know if I've wrapped my head around the episode completely, but. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of where to start. I kind of really liked seeing the. Uh, 
<laughs> I don't know. I feel like I'm drawing a blank because just because I haven't had the time to sit with this episode. Uh, what are your kind of initial thoughts? I feel like I have okay. more to say after you start talking. All right. <laughs> Sorry. All right. So first off, we jump back in and now we got to deal with. So the way everything left off, we got to deal with going to this new galaxy. Right. And in the terms of breaking the ice with this new galaxy, we're probably only going to see one planet. We're not going to see like this massive stuff. You're going to come into a system. There's going to be a planet because we're specifically looking for a specific person. Right. Okay. Yeah. So Ahsoka's still in the whale flying through this new hyperspace. And that's a cool looking hyperspace. The visual and stuff is completely different than what we're used to, but you're jumping a void from a galaxy to a galaxy. Right. So it should be different. And they're having a conversation about, you know, stories from the Jedi Temple and blah, blah, blah with her, with the droid, with, um, with the droid. And they um, and it's kind of cool to listen to them talk about stuff like that. But the um, but then we jump over to Sabine and uh, Balin Skull and Shin and um, Morgan Esbeth and Thrawn and everything. And we find out that this planet, first off, the planet's got rings around it, right? Awesome. You don't get to see that very, in my opinion, you don't get to see that enough in Star Wars. Yeah. So then you find out, like, if I were to look up at the sky and I see Saturn, it's got the rings around it, right? The rings, we know because our scientists have done, you know, you know, send probes and research and telescopes and everything. It's chunks of ice that are floating around Saturn. That's what creates the rings. So we're watching Ahsoka and you're just like, oh, it's a planet with rings. And then you find out that this is a place where the whales, the purgles come to die when they've reached that point in their life. So those rings are whale carcasses stuck in the gravity of the planet, which made it just so cool to have a space whale graveyard. If you, will. <laughs> right. you, want, you want to talk about awesome? I'm like, that is just, like, I was hoping for off, a little bit more off, um... to write that on paper is awesome to show me the visual of that. Holy cow. That was amazing. <laughs> No, no, for sure. I was hoping that on the planet itself, we'd get a little bit more, um, you know, just like purgle rib cages and stuff sticking out of the ground. But I agree that imagery was just like so badass leading into that, you know? Yeah. Um, And then, um, okay, so we have that. Um, They land on the planet and you find out this is the home of the ancestors for the witches of Dathomir. Dude, that's nuts. (laughs) <laughs> that means the witches of Dathomir came from another point in space. They weren't a part of the galaxy before. That I thought was amazing. Um, and they can clearly still have the Force abilities and everything there. Um, there's some great conversations between Balin Skull and Shin. And um, just some really cool conversations about the Order and the Temple and like what he believes and all that stuff. Then we get to meet Thrawn. I'm going to come back to Balin Skull in a moment, but then we get to meet Thrawn and it's everything I wanted it to be, literally everything I wanted it to be. And the, his Star Destroyer, which I'm curious about is, so if that's the, I got to go back to Rebels. I got to double check something in Rebels, but I wanted, I couldn't remember if he was on the Chimera when they got zapped to that galaxy or if that's a different Star Destroyer, because Thrawn's known Star Destroyer is the Chimera. And I was, I was just right. wondering if that's what that was, because it's kind so, of balance damage. I actually, I'm actually on Wikipedia right now, and it does say that it's the Chimera, but Perfect. again, it's Wikipedia, so that could be wrong, but. No, I'm okay with it, and I'll roll with it right now, because I didn't watch the, I didn't watch it with subtitles, and I keep being told to watch it with subtitles. 
because a lot of the like like in Mandalorian, we found out if you watch it with subtitles, like all the planet names and stuff are in the subtitles. And yeah. All you know, I didn't learn Star Wars that way. I learned Star Wars from watching it a thousand times and learning all the planet names as I watch the movies. So I'm just well. There's there's certain to... planets where they don't even say it in dialogue, but they'll say it in the subtitles, and it's really weird. Um, I watch like just as a side note, I watch like ninety percent of everything with subtitles, <laughs> but that doesn't mean that I'm gonna remember every uh, planet from the Star Wars shows. Um, but yeah, before oh, you go on, I did want and I feel like you should. <laughs> uh, no, it's just one of those like I haven't watched them all twice. <laughs> so, gotcha. Or I haven't, you know, some of the shows I've only watched through one, so I don't remember every planet. But uh, um, I feel like it's every week I'm like just honestly or just candidly being like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> here's a fault in my Star Star Wars fandom, and then you're just like, yes, that is a fault in your Star Wars fandom. Uh, but anyways, across that way, I apologize. I didn't realize. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, not, not, not at all. It's all good. Um, no, but, uh, no, what I was going to say is when Thrawn, uh, does show up just cause you're commenting on this, the music playing in the background was so badass for his entrance when he just walks in between like all those stormtroopers and that, that song in the background was just so epic. And for somebody who's commented pretty critically on the music of the series, the last few weeks, like that was one of the best moments of this episode you know what i mean <laughs> yeah and i'll tell you i loved the music i loved the visuals uh seeing the stormtroopers with the damaged armor yeah uh, the internet is <laughs> pretty, pretty cool too the internet's referring to them as the uh, night troopers which is pretty cool but with the damaged armor and which i don't know if they're like paint stripes or if it's red tape holding the armor together i don't know it looks really cool and i love the one stormtrooper with the like golden face mask which is like a real face as opposed to like a stormtrooper face i thought that yeah. was sweet looking um but yeah literally yeah. all the thrawn stuff was everything i wanted it to be so yeah i am kind of curious about that golden face mask guy and if they're gonna explore like the reason that he looks like that but uh i do love how you see stormtroopers and clone troopers so many times over the whole star wars saga and so you need to differentiate them, you know, and that's probably why in the sequel trilogy, the stormtroopers have a much different look than uh, previous movies. But uh, it's kind of funny. It took them this long to just have like just the battle damaged, like the whole group of stormtroopers is all battle damaged. Like it looked so badass. <laughs> it's one of those like, why didn't why didn't you guys think of this before? This is perfect. You know what I mean? Yeah, well. That being said, um, then we get over to Ezra Bridger. We get to see Ezra again. Now, I have talked in the past about how Ezra Bridger is probably my least favorite character in Star Wars ever. Now, he's got a chance to redeem himself. I think they casted him really well. He literally looks like the cartoon. Yeah. Literally, if you were to age the cartoon and put a beard on him, that is exactly what he would look like. So they physically casted him really well. He didn't bother me in the episode. But my problem with Ezra, and I've talked about this a long time ago, is... When they're introducing him as a Force user character, he is so close to the introduction of Luke Skywalker destroying the Death Star and becoming who he is and defeating Darth Vader and the Emperor <laughs> that Ezra is not important at all in the story. Like, literally not important. And I think that's why it bothered me that they even bothered with Ezra. Like, why would you even take waste my time doing this when he's not going to amount to anything because we still have Luke and that kind of stuff going on. Like, we haven't gotten to Luke yet. 
that's what I think bothered me about Ezra because they put a lot of stock in him making it almost look like he was supposed to be like a chosen one or whatever. And I'm like, but he can't be, you know, do you think this uh, series is going to amend that? I don't know. Okay. Like, it's a great that's, question. I just don't know. Cause that's the thing where people say like the clone wars, um, fixed so many issues with the prequel trilogy and it just makes me wonder, like, maybe Ezra is going to have some sort of, uh, you know, storyline redemption, so to speak, um, in the way he's portrayed moving forward. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I didn't know where, where else you're going with it. I didn't mean to de- derail you at all. <laughs> no, you're all right. Um, uh, what, what did you think of? I think they're like called the Nodi or something like the little snail dudes. <laughs> Well, what's funny about the little snail dudes is that um, <laughs> leave it to Star Wars to give us a tiny creature. Um, meaning, like, leave it to Star Wars and be like, hey, by the way, we're going to show you another really weird tiny little creature uh, like Ewoks and Porgs and, you know, that kind of thing. It was like, right. yeah, of course there is. Um, they're like little hermit crab type guys, you know? Um, they were, I thought they were kind of cool and clever because it was just something we hadn't seen. And that's one thing I like about the little Star Wars creatures that a lot of times they're just characters we've never seen before. So, right uh, on. yeah. Now let's talk about the big thing. And this <sighs> is like groundbreaking is Balin Skull's talking to Shin and she is talking to him about, uh training and the temple and she's like you mean like you trained me and he's like no i trained you to be something different um because we're not talking i don't know if we're talking if they're considered sith or not i really don't we're not that's uh, that to me is not clear yet um but he did talk about he did use a term that is now new to star wars he called um so he referred to Ezra and Sabine as Boken Jedi, not broken, Boken, B-O-K-K-E-N. Right. Um, now, a Boken, I Googled this like every other Star Wars fan probably did as soon as the episode airs. Boken is a Japanese term for wooden sword. It's the it's that it's the name of those practice swords you see when you're seeing the uh, videos of like the Japanese guys like practicing and all that stuff. That is That's- cool. That's what that is. That makes, first off, that is awesome. Like, probably one of the coolest things, and I know it's just a word, but that's probably one of the coolest things to come out of Star Wars in a very long time, in my opinion. The other thing I think is amazing about that is Balin Skull said that they're bro- they're Boken Jedi, meaning they're Jedi that were trained outside the temple and do not have the f- uh, form, power, and, um, like, they don't have the power of a Jedi that was trained in the um, right. arts the way they should have been. Meaning, so we're talking Luke, Ezra, Sabine, um, anyone who is not trained under the standard Jedi teachings, or Ray would be an example, is considered a Boken Jedi. And I just think that is awesome. It does allude to the fact that the Boken Jedi are not as powerful because they didn't get the proper training and teachings. But then that also lends to making Anakin still the most powerful Jedi in the universe. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, I, I think it's cool because if you if you're a uh, if you're somebody who's training at the Jedi Temple, 
you have the greatest Jedi in the world who are looking over you and teaching you all the tips and tricks, and you're going to get just such a vast wealth of knowledge. And to take that outside of the uh, outside of the Jedi Temple, like think of uh, the sequel trilogy when you see glimpses of how um, Luke was training Jedi, how Luke uh, kind of uh, struggled with uh, training Kylo Ren. And even when it's just one Jedi master trying to train a, a group, there's so much knowledge. There's so much uh, teaching style that's going to be gone. You can compare it in real life when it comes to a trade or a skill like you can go to a college and be taught by like a number of like really knowledgeable professors or you could, you know, go off on your own and learn things on your own. And uh, there's some people who are self-taught, like some of the greatest guitarists in the world are self-taught. Some of the greatest whatevers are self-taught, but there is like sort of a learning curve where you're going to get a huge advantage when you have just like this huge, vast wealth of knowledge being supplied by like a number of <laughs> the greatest people in your field so it totally makes sense like so i don't think like a boken jedi can't become super powerful but i think there is it's not going to be as easy for them and it's this is kind of like such a common sense concept that you never really thought of or i didn't i never really thought of before with star wars so um and i'm kind of spitballing here because uh i didn't I remember um, Balin mentioning this in the episode, but I didn't do the uh, researching after the episode like you did, Drew. So I think this is a really cool concept, and I'm glad you brought it up. But I just, uh, yeah, I just wasn't, uh, I didn't think of it until now. So I'm a little bit spitballing, but this is a really well, cool, uh, cool idea, you know. And I'm spitballing too because I literally like it. It's he said the word, and I sat right up, going, "What does that mean?" You know, yeah. when you think about when you think about Star Wars, you know, we those of us who grew up with the original films, we knew about the Jedi. We knew about the temple. We knew about an order. Luke's being trained as a Jedi, whatever. We know Yoda, yeah. that order. So whatever. But um, we didn't get the word Padawan until the prequel films. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we didn't get it. I remember I, I, just because you commented that I remember the first time I saw episode one. And uh, Qui-Gon, I believe it's Qui-Gon, says uh, Padawan to Obi-Wan. And it's like the first time I ever heard it. And I was like, I remember having this thought, should I know what that means? <laughs> should I know what that is? Why don't I know what that is? Uh, but keep going. <laughs> yeah, so we didn't know. We had never heard the term Padawan before the prequels. And then we also hadn't heard the... Um, we also hadn't heard the term youngling either and we're just like oh those are terms within the jedi and then here we are this far away from the temple collapsing and burning and all that stuff because order 66 and balen skull says oh those are boken jedi so what other a what other boken jedi were out there and b what other boken jedi were trained back during the time of the actual jedi order that shouldn't have been you know what I mean? Like the whole concept is really cool and it's just the idea and it, and it, this is all predicating off of a single word that just got added to the Star Wars mythos. And I think that's amazing. That's, that's something new and amazing and powerful and we can, you know, extrapolate and do stuff with. And I think it's fantastic. So, you know, I, I think it's great too. Um, especially when you think of, I mean, we all know like the history of Star Wars, like George Lucas was, 
influenced by uh, samurai fil- films and stuff. So it is cool to bring another piece of that mythos into this. But it also makes me think of the concept of a, you know, like a ronin samurai, like the samurai who's not necessarily part of a bigger group. He's just out on his own, wandering the wilderness, uh, trying to get by, getting into random adventures. And it's such a cool... Um, when you think of like Ronin samurais from different movies and uh, comics and anime and stuff, it's such a cool, um, it's such a cool concept that I always love living vicariously through those sort of stories when I read them. And I feel like it brings a level of that Roman samurai concept to Star Wars. And it's really fun to think about that. Like maybe there's, maybe there's going to be another TV show series that focuses on this, like, wayward boken jedi you know that that sounds like a really cool idea you know what i mean yeah yeah so i it's yeah we're gonna see where this goes but i just think it's fantastic so right on yeah um all right let's talk about two trailers first off did you watch the aquaman trailer yeah i did it was all great. Right. <laughs> so i actually thought the movie looks all right so before we get on to aquaman before we get on to the trailer <laughs> I saw reports that Aquaman was already streaming on HBO Max or Max. I saw reports that Warner Brothers does not want to release the film and it never will be released. I saw reports that it was taken off of HBO Max. I saw reports that the movie is completely scrapped. Um, I saw reports that the movie has uh, is going to still release. I saw reports that the trailer is coming out. I saw reports that the trailer is not coming out. And then I saw reports that the trailer actually was out. And then I saw the actual trailer. That is the 48 hours leading up to the trailer actually <laughs> dropping online. I'm not kidding. That's awesome. And I was like, it was like, because one of the reports that was on HBO Max means that they, they, they were, it was saying that they put it up on HBO Max because they don't think the movie's going to make any money. And they figured, why not just sneak it in there and no one will notice. And then they can say the movie released. <laughs> right. Um. So I thought the trailer actually looked kind of cool yeah um, i i thought it looked cool i'm down i mean i i'm in the only thing that i shook my head at a little bit was aqua baby uh, <laughs> right and i say that because he says i'm a husband and a father and then you see him with a baby and i'm like did they just put aqua baby in an aquaman trailer <laughs> right uh, right uh and i think because i watched the trailer twice and my TV's pretty decently sized. I think there is one blink and you miss it shot of Amber Heard as Mira. Now, we all know about the Amber Heard stuff that happened. And I don't even know if she's actually been recast. I don't know what happened or if they just cut her out of the movie. But or they completely tapered it down. So she's not a big part of the movie. However, James Wan did say that the story of him and his brother going on this quest together was always the main focus of the movie. Yeah. So if that always was, maybe she didn't have as big of a role as we thought. I don't know. Um, but that's all I can really say about that. But I think the movie looks pretty cool. Thoughts? Do you have any thoughts? Yeah. That a lot of people have been saying that Warner Brothers is trying to show as little of Amber Heard as possible. And uh, because of the Amber Heard, jo- Amber Heard, Johnny Depp situation, it's like, can you really blame them? This is a movie that I, is this going to be essentially the last DCEU movie or has that been confirmed? So from what I understand, this is 
the last film to be part of the previous regime <laughs> before the James Gunn averse. <laughs> right. So my thoughts are, I don't know that this movie is going to do very good at the box office because oh, you have this movie's going to tank at the box office and they yes that everyone has been very clear that they don't care what dc's doing because of what james gunn's coming out with well you have that um you also have the trend of the flash and blue beetle not doing really well and you have amber heard in the movie which i don't i feel like the stuff Ezra Miller did is worse morally than Amber Heard, but I feel like she is like the big face and name that everybody paid more attention to within the past two years. So I feel like her being in the movie is a huge detriment against it. So again, I don't think this movie is going to do super well, but I do think as time goes on as being a chapter in the DCEU, I think it will age on in years to come. Or I think it's going to age age well in the years to come. And that's because it does look awesome. It looks comic accurate to the sense of James. Look at the first Aquaman movie like James Wan loved bringing the crazy Atlantean cast costumes, the world building, all the crazy sea creatures. Um, he obviously loves bringing this comic accurate stuff to the screen. That's awesome to see. The other thing is James Wan is like such a cool the way he works, and I don't know if he works with, like, a uh, specific, like, director of photography or anything, but cinematography-wise, his movies always look amazing. Like, if you watch the Conjuring films, you can tell James Wan can take a standard Midwestern home and film it in a way that it looks so epic. And it's just like, I'm just looking at a regular suburban house, but the way the angles he uses and the way he zooms in on the house and stuff, it makes it look like the most epic thing ever. So of course, when he's playing with crazy, fantastical world building stuff like the Kingdom of, of Atlantis, it's gonna look that much more epic. So I'm really pumped for this. I think this is gonna be awesome. I think this is gonna be just like, Flash and uh, Blue Beetle, where it's going to be a good movie. It's just not going to do well. And that kind of sucks. But I am excited to see this one. Um, the last thing I'll say is my only it's not really a complaint, but it seems like Black Manta is the main villain for this movie. Yeah. Um, where he was like a pretty big villain in the first one. And that's my only thing is I kind of wish we got to see a new villain this time. And I, it does look like we're going to see a lot of different creatures. Um, maybe there is another villain that uh, they haven't introduced yet too. like, maybe this trailer didn't give everything away and there is going to be some other big baddie in there. But that was my one thing. I was like, man, I just wish it was somebody else just because we already got so much black Manta stuff, you know? Yeah, I hear you. Um, well, the other trailer that i wanted to bring up is a new nicholas cage movie called dream scenario okay i haven't seen this so you got to tell me about okay. this <laughs> this i'm not entirely i'm not 100 sure what to make of it the movie just looks kind of cool it actually looks like this is one of those like nicholas cage could have like a oscar nomination kind of on his lap right now with this trailer hmm. just the trailer alone kind of gave me that vibe um but it's Nicolas Cage is this like he's like balding, a little overweight, got a beard. He just looks like he's like in his maybe early 50s, just trying to do the day to day stuff. Right. And it's about it. So first off, this is an A24 film. OK, and nice. 
it starts out with um, this woman has this like dream about him. Not like a sex dream. She just has a dream about him. <laughs> right. And then other people start having dreams about him. And then it's like, wow, I had a dream about the guy. And he becomes like this Internet sensation because people are all having for some reason, like once you see him, like once you see him in real life, you suddenly have a dream about him. Um, and it's become this like it becomes this like big thing. And then there's a point in the trailer where it kind of turns and people start having nightmares about him. So his life gets like all this like amazingness, like praise and like he becomes like a little mini celebrity. And then people start having nightmares about him and then it like flips on its head and his light starts to fall apart and everything. Whatever the underlining social commentary of the film is really has me interested to see it. But the movie itself, just like when I was watching the trailer, I mean, this looks really cool. Um, so I don't know much about it. I kind of wanted to say I saw the trailer and it looks cool and it's got my got me intrigued. And I keep it at that until I see the movie. But I thought it looked pretty awesome. So. No, that that's that's great. Um, yeah, I'll have to check out the trailer for this, but it sounds it's hard to explain. It, it sounds really awesome. Does. It almost looks like it has this like stranger than fiction vibe. Uh, if you remember that movie with Will Ferrell. Right, right. Um, but uh, at the same time, like, I'm just, it, it just looks cool. So, yeah. That's great. Well, uh, uh, not Will Ferrell. Nicolas Cage has just overall been choosing really interesting projects for the last he has been. Know, five to ten years. So that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. All right. News is incredibly light. Um, so <laughs> sounds good because our watching and reading went on forever. Well, and I, I had no problem dawdling about all that stuff because we had to talk about Boke and Jedi seriously. But yeah, um, news is incredibly, incredibly light. Um, so first off, um, Disney Parks teases a Black Panther Wakanda expansion. And I think to myself, of course. And why wouldn't you? And that sounds like a great idea. And I'm surprised yeah. that didn't happen before because they did the Avengers campus in California. Why wouldn't they do the Wakanda expansion before the Avengers campus? Um, but it does have me wonder. I really want to see that giant uh, rock panther sculpture somewhere in the park. That'll be amazing. Um, right. And then I really want to be able to go into Shuri's lab. Uh, her tech lab, that'd be awesome. I want to see what other, what rides could you have in there? But that's just brilliant to do a Black Panther park. It just makes sense, you know? Um, no, yeah, that that sounds that sounds great. I Yeah, it's, this sounds awesome, and it's just, why haven't they done this yet? <laughs> yeah, <know? laughs> yep. Um, okay, speaking of Marvel, uh, this, I don't know if I think this is a good idea or not. Do you remember last Halloween when Marvel released Werewolf by Night? Yes, I know exactly where you're right. going. And we're this, all yeah. going, and, and every one of us saw that and said, yes, more of this. Seriously, more of this. Um, Werewolf by Night is getting a colorized re-release for Halloween. Um, no, the magic of the, half the magic of that was the fact that they did it in black and white like an old monster film. And it was awesome, and it was amazing. Um, I did see some screenshots for the colorization version, and the screenshots look cool, but I'm sorry. I don't know if I could watch that in color and actually enjoy it. I really don't. So, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I was kind of exactly the same. I was just like, yeah, but it was so cool in black and white because it was hearkening back to, you know, classic monster movies and stuff, but... 
you know, I think it's a it's a simple thing that Disney can do to get some rewatches on that movie. And I also it does make me wonder because like there's a lot of younger Marvel fans who maybe didn't grow up with, you know, the creature from the Black Lagoon or Dracula or all the universal monster movies. Maybe that's like just super old and a lot of younger people just don't necessarily get that sort of nostalgic excitement from the black and whiteness so maybe that factors into it as well i'm not really sure yeah yeah um i don't know i just yeah i just i don't know if the black if the colors it just it the magic was the fact that it was black and white at least i thought so anyway yeah half the magic was um okay donald glover's lando calrissian show if we ever get this thing Apparently, (laughs) if we ever get it, because we had heard that Donald Glover is actually sitting down to write it because they hadn't put it out. But apparently it's now going to be a movie instead. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah. Here's what I got to say. I feel like Star Wars keeps telling us what movies they're going to come out and then they turn around and say we're not getting those movies. So I want to be optimistic and say (laughs) it sounds cool, but I also am kind of bothered by the fact that we haven't. Um, we haven't gotten half the movies that they said we're supposed to get. Um, and I know they decided to take a step back, but you know, where's Rogue Squadron? Where's the Taika Waititi movie? Where's, you see what I'm saying? Like, it's just, they keep telling us about these things we're going to get and we're not getting them. Um, and I know that's hard to shoot right now, but I feel like we should have gotten Rogue Squadron by now. So we'll see. I'd like to see it, but with the result of Solo, with the the way Solo is embraced, a Lando movie has me kind of scratching my head a little bit. Not that yeah. I don't want to see it, just I know how the studio's reaction was to Solo. How are they going to handle Lando? You know? Yeah, it's really, it's going to be really interesting to see where this goes. And uh, I've seen a lot of sentiment online that's pretty close to what you're saying, Drew, where people are like, they keep announcing stuff and then canceling stuff or it just never comes out. And uh, I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like you got to keep the hype train moving. You know, if you keep announcements coming up, it keeps people talking about Star Wars. But at the same time, you need to deliver good products consistently if you want to keep that hype training train moving. You know, announcements only go so far. So, yeah, I don't I don't really know how this is going to play out, but it will be interesting to see. Yeah. All right. Have you checked out One Piece, the Netflix series yet? I have not watched it yet. Uh, Have you? (laughs) All right. I have not watched it yet either. I would have brought it up on the watching and reading. The only reason I haven't watched it yet. (laughs) The only reason I haven't watched it yet is because. um, We. uh, Cowboy Bebop came out and they canceled it right away. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they, keep, they they do these live action anime shows and then they cancel them real fast. So I was kind of like on the fence about checking out the One Piece live action show. However, uh, One Piece has already been renewed for season two. So that tells me it's got some life in it. So now I'll be checking it out. Yeah, it's it's I hear nothing but good things about this show. So I really want to watch it soon as well. I just haven't. uh haven't found the time yet, unfortunately. No, I'm I hear you. I'm just saying like that was the one reason I haven't really touched on it either. So I just I haven't had time. But I was also like, am I going to like this show? And then they're going to cancel it. Sounds like no. no. 
So <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm with you there, and that's uh, that's one of the reasons I haven't read uh, the Game of Thrones novels yet because I just don't want to spend so much time reading so much pages if I don't know if the last book's ever going to come out. <laughs> and I don't want to be negative about that, but uh, it's one of those things, even if I read all of the books and then the last book comes out in a couple of years, I'm probably going to forget stuff and I'd rather just binge through it when I read it anyways. But uh, I get what you're saying is basically where I'm coming from with that. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see. Um, so that being said, let's, um, you want to move on to tonight's list? Cause that's literally it for news. Nice. <laughs> All right. Yeah, the, let's do with it. Stri- <laughs> with the strike the way it is, we're now getting to that point where we're going to hit a wall with news. And I was waiting. I thought this was going to happen sooner than it did, but here we are. Boom. Um, I just was scouring the internet for stuff, but today, like all week long, I'm like, there's like nothing to talk about. So, um, <laughs> nice. but yeah, let's talk about tonight's list. Uh, so let's roll the thing. And now for the top five. All right, Peter, this was your pick. So why don't you tell us what we're doing tonight? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to do another year, like our top five favorite movies from a random year. And uh, I realized on our list of lists, we didn't have a lot of uh, years from the 80s that we've done. So I decided to do something a little bit retro. And uh, tonight we're talking about our top five movies from the year 1988. So pretty self-explanatory. Um, this was a year that when I was looking through the list of movies that came out, Halfway through, I was like, man, I feel like I've barely seen any movies from this year. But then, as always, once you get to those like summer blockbusters, you're just writing a bunch down. And uh, there's some really good stuff that came out this year. So, uh, yeah. Do you have any thoughts on this one, Drew? Or do you just want to jump well, in? Or This was a massive year. I mean, yeah, massive. Um, and I was kind of sh- when you said 88, I was like, yeah, OK. And then I started looking and I'm like, holy crap. But there's like some ridiculous blockbusters in here, like Ernest Saved Christmas and <laughs> Halloween four and Police Academy five. Uh, <laughs> right, right. No, I'm just making a joke. <laughs> um, they have the be- this this year also uh, features the greatest love story movie of all time, Bloodsport. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, there <laughs> is that scene where they kiss. So. You know, it's there. Um, But this is also the year with like, I mean, there's a lot of great stuff. We'll talk about them. Um, Of the films in 1988, I was eight years old this year. And looking back on the year itself and going through them all, I've seen 66 of the movies for 1988. Okay. Uh, I I had seen uh, 32, I believe. So, okay. And then. (laughs) Much smaller uh, list. (laughs) And then the best picture this year was uh, Rain Man. Yep. So, um, all right. Well, how about this? Um, it's your pick, which means I have to go first, right? I have two honorable mentions. I don't know about you. Okay. I also have two honorable mentions. Um, so first off, my first honorable mention, um, is Crocodile Dundee 2. Um, I don't have a lot, I don't have a lot to say about this movie, 
but I remember watching it and I remember just really like I always liked the original Crocodile Dundee, but I really feel like for some reason Crocodile Dundee 2 was not just a really great sequel follow up to the movie. It was actually a pretty decent movie by itself. Um, and uh, I just had a lot of fun, fun memories of watching the sequel film. So I don't have too so, much to say about it. Like, you know, go ahead. It's been a while since I've watched any of the Crocodile Dundee films, but uh, if I remember correctly, the first one primarily takes place in New York, I want to say. Yeah. And the second one is where they actually go to the Outback. Like, they go to Australia, and I think that one was always, like, kind of cooler to watch when you were a kid, because you just, that's the stuff you want to see, you know? <laughs> you want to see... Right. Uh, Crocodile Dundee in the outbit on the in the outback on an adventure. So uh, yeah, so, I, I I've watched this one a lot and uh, good call with this. Interesting. What's interesting about the first one is the first half of the movie is in Australia and the back half of the movie is in New York. In Crocodile okay. Two, the first half of the movie is in in New York and the back half of the film is in Australia. Oh, but, so that's what it was. Okay. But when you go back to Australia, you want to see all that stuff. Like, it's, like, exciting to see half the stuff that goes on in Australia when you finally get to see it, so. Okay, okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, it's it's been a while, so I couldn't remember how everything laid out on that one, but. Yeah, anyway. Well. <laughs> My first honorable mention is a movie that I thought you were going to uh, already mention that came out this year because it's, uh, I think it's considered a pretty bad uh, B-horror film, but. This is a movie that's in no way was going to make my final list, but I do really love it. And it's really bad. It's really corny, but I still love watching it and I've watched it a lot. So I thought I would give it a mention. Uh, and that's Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Oh. Uh, this is a movie that I first saw. Uh, it was one of those things in high school where me and one of my friends rented it or something because we we're like, this movie looks really dumb. And we watched it. And we kind of got a kick out of it. And then it was it became the movie that you bring to other people's houses to watch with groups of people just to see their reactions to it. And uh, like I said, it is really corny. It's definitely a B-horror movie. But the pluses with this movie is, one, the, like I said, the sort of experience of sharing it with people. Two, the uh, makeup and practical effects in this movie are actually really awesome. Like, I love some of the clowns character designs and some of that like cheesy latex goodness that's uh prevalent in this film and then the other is just like the story's really corny but there's also just that level of like craft where you feel like this movie almost could be a high school play or something like that but you're watching the actual movie of it and i just think it's a fun movie to watch again this was in no way gonna meet my final list but I had to mention it because it is one of my favorite movies and it is one of those. Uh, yeah, I think I just like it despite knowing it's bad sort of thing. So really? All right. Um, yeah, uh, I haven't seen Killer Clowns from Outer Space in such a long time. <laughs> um, I do. I probably that. watch it at least once a year or at once That's every two crazy. years. So. <laughs> that's crazy that that's like i didn't how about this i didn't know that that was one of your like favorite movies and like you like it as much as you do it's um, it's not it's not like a top 50 or even top 100 movie for me but it is a movie that i'll put in rotation often enough that like i know the movie pretty well and stuff just because i get a kick out of it you know sure um 
All right. Uh, well, my next honorable mention is Tom Cruise's cocktail. Um, first off, Top Gun and a bar. And when I say that, that's the best way of describing that movie. It's like Tom Cruise made Top Gun, and then everyone said, how do we do this in a race car? And they made Days of Thunder. How do we do this in a bar with bartenders? Okay, we'll, we'll make cocktail. You know what I mean? Like... <laughs> Like, I feel like they pitched him that for a little while. Like, hey, um, you know that movie Top Gun you made? We're going to do that, but we're going to do it here. You know, like, um, I feel like that was like a, I just, just for a little bit there, not, not, off, not too, uh, not too many of those, but I just feel like that was like their selling point and getting him to do movies. But Cocktail, like, I, I enjoyed it. I remember liking it. I know a lot of people for some reason like to make fun of it. I thought it was actually a pretty decent movie. Um, it's fun. Um, you get to learn a lot about bars. You get to watch them make some funny drinks and whatnot. Um, and the the drink making parts are some of the best parts of the movie because that's when you're that's where all the tricks and magic and stuff are. Yeah. Um, there's uh, there's a really decent story. Elizabeth Shue's really good in the movie as the love interest. Um, the soundtrack for the movie is fantastic. It's one of those. This is one of those uh, soundtracks. It's like the, like the perfect mixtape, if you will. Um, really good soundtrack. Um, but yeah, cocktail. I don't know a lot too much to say about it, but you know, Top Gun in a bar. <laughs> I saw this movie a long time ago, but I remember thinking it was a pretty cool, fun movie. Um, it kind of makes me wonder if there was like a trend of uh, people thinking that like this kind of bartending with the juggling the bottles and doing crazy tricks and stuff. I was there a trend of that being really popular in the late '80s? It makes me wonder because uh, if there was, it makes me think the movie started it. That's that's the other thing I was thinking is this movie might have started a, a trend and it kind of reminds me of like a few years back when you had like uh, Zac Efron was in a movie that was about like EDM DJs, <laughs> which kind of feels like a similar sort of thing. But no, uh, from what I remember, EDM, cocktails pretty the cool. EDM DJ movie, the Zac Efron, um, that DJ movie, um, it's uh, We Are Your Friends. That's the name of the movie. That right. movie's awesome. Okay. Like, it's really, really good. I'm not going to lie, dude. That movie's fantastic. Um, so don't not have that to check movie that then. one out. I, I've never actually seen it, but I have nothing against watching it. But it just. Oh, seemed yeah. Like... No, it's just it's really good. Um, Zach Efron's fantastic in it. Emily Ratajkowski's uh, really good in it. Um, yeah, really good movie. I had a lot of fun. With okay. It. Okay, nice. Yeah. Um, anyway, what's your next honorable mention? Yeah, my next one is uh, Beetlejuice. Um, so one of Tim Burton's uh, earlier movies. Um, this is a movie that you can watch it. And I think there's some aspects of the movie that feel very homemade and almost low budget when it comes to some of the special effects and some of the set pieces and stuff. But when you look at the movie at a whole, as a whole, the legacy of Beetlejuice has really lived on really well. Like a lot of other Tim Burton movies, like it's crazy that this movie came out in 1988 and you can still go to like Walmart or Hot Topic probably and find Beetlejuice t-shirts and stuff. And uh, I just think this is a really fun comedic take on sort of like a darker horror movie, you know, about like people facing the afterlife and stuff like that. And uh, no, it just got all the cool stylistic Tim Burton bits that you'd want in there. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if I have too much more to say, but uh, yeah, that's my next honorable mention. So I'm a little surprised that this is an honorable mention by itself, but 
you know, oh, Beetlejuice, fair enough. Beetlejuice, I think, is a fantastic movie. Um, and I think it surprised a lot of us. Uh, I think I saw, I, honestly, I think I might have watched the Beetlejuice cartoon that was spawned off of the film before I saw the film. Yeah. Um, and that's just Saturday morning cartoon stuff because the popularity of the film spawned a cartoon. And I think that's how I had that. I think that was my first foray to Beetlejuice. Um, Michael Keaton is the title character. Don't you think it's interesting that you go 45 minutes into that movie before you actually get to see the title character on screen? Um <laughs> That's when people that's when moviegoers actually had patience, though, like you didn't have to have a crazy bombastic action scene within the first 30 seconds of the movie. Like you could actually have a slow build and people had the attention spans to watch that. And I don't know if that's the case anymore, as sad as it is to say so. (laughs) Yeah, I don't I'm with you. I don't know if people have the, you know, attention span for that anymore either. But bold move to do that. Um, the whole story with the ghost world and like the like the undead world and like uh, that kind of thing, like the the couple that dies and they're trying to navigate the afterlife. And, you know, do we do we leave the house? Do we haunt the house? Like all this stuff. I that was so cool. Um, I am really curious as to how long is the scene where they leave their house to go to the um, afterlife or like the world of the undead or the living dead or yeah. I don't, however you want to word that with the, with the ghosts to learn about everything and they know it's going to take a while and they have to meet and they have to wait in the waiting room and blah, blah, blah. Like just these funny bits that you're just like, yeah, of course when they come back, the house is completely different because they had done the remodeling. They never really say how long they were in that. And I always, Ooh, that's that a cool, like, yeah, that's how, a cool like, thing to point out. How long were they actually in that like ghost world before they came back to the house to haunt it? And all the changes made, like what happened to our house? Like, yeah, well, they were you guys were gone for quite a long time. And that's now that this is the house. I've always wondered. Um, But yeah, no, dude, I love Beetlejuice. It's fantastic. Um, There's a lot of great funny bits. There's a lot of the great one liners is Alec Baldwin's great. Gina Davis. Um, I can't wait for the sequel um, that's coming. Um, Right. I'm I'm just in more sheer curiosity. So I hope it's not one of those legacy character things that they screw up for the sake of doing you know what i mean i hope they understand the assignment um yeah but yeah so yeah beetlejuice sorry it's funny because uh we were watching this uh in my household the other night uh beetlejuice and uh we actually me and my wife got into the discussion about like because she was like is he trying to bring them to hell and i was like well i don't know if it's necessarily hell but it's kind of like the underworld like the afterlife and then I compared it to uh, Corpse Bride, how you have the living world and then you have the the world of the dead, you know, and all the people in this like undead or dead world aren't necessarily in hell. It's just like a place where dead people go. And then I started thinking, like, does Tim Burton have any movies where there's like the concept of heaven and hell? And then I started thinking, is are all Tim Burton's movies in the same universe and it's connected by this dead world where like the dead world in Beetlejuice, is that the same one that is in Corpse Bride? It's just a more modern version of it. Um, So yeah, I was kind of, uh, (laughs) my imagination was kind of racing and I kind of want to research all these concepts a little more, but yeah, that's kind of cool. Now that you put it, now that you say it like that. Yeah, Um, Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let me uh, 
jump into my actual first pick of the night, which is going to be License to Drive. Um, I don't know. Have you ever seen this movie? No, I was really unfamiliar with this one. I remember seeing it on the list, though. But right. this is this is a this is a dark comedy. Uh, Corey Haim plays the lead character, and his sole, like the sole point of this is he is going to get his. Ah, you know, maybe it's not a dark comedy. The opening of the movie is a bit dark because it's him having like this dream sequence about getting his license and being the cool kid and that kind of thing. But it's all about him turning 16 and getting this driver's license so he can then um, impress the girl or go on the date or whatever the case may be. But it's about him getting his driver's license. The quintessential I've turned 16 time to take my driver's test. Go, you know, you know what I mean? That's ultimately what it is. Nice. Um, It's a really funny movie. I remember it fondly. Some really great, uh, like the driving, like the the driver's, not the driver's ed guy, the guy administering the test at the DMV. He literally sits down in the car with a full cup of coffee, like to the brim, full cup of coffee. And he sets it on the dash and he goes, if that spills, you fail. (laughs) That's great. Um, but yeah, it's 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 your classic teen comedy. I just feel I just for some reason remember it being a little darker. But yeah, no, License to Drive, really fun movie. Um, I'm surprised you've never seen this, but yeah, you should check it out. I don't nice. know if it's like streaming anywhere, but yeah, I'll, ha- I'll have to look into it. But yeah, I, I was completely uh, unfamiliar with this one. But uh, yeah, yeah. All right, man. What um, what's your first actual pick? Yeah, so my number five pick for tonight, I went with the movie Big, uh, the Tom Hanks movie. Um, This is a classic. I feel like almost everybody has seen this film, but it's just such a fun concept, especially if you see this movie when you're a kid and uh, you see a kid getting able to become an adult for a short period of time and do all the things that you want to do, have your own apartment, have your own job be able to buy anything you want, just having that freedom. It's such a, it was such a fun thing to watch as a kid and live vicariously through. But uh, I love how the story goes and how by the time you get to the end, you see all the characters kind of learn that everybody has their own place and their own timeline that they're meant to be in. And uh, you know, how Tom Hanks has to go back to uh, becoming a kid Um, One of my favorite scenes in this movie, and this one has always stuck out to me, and it's not one of the, I don't know if it's one of the scenes that people go back to a lot. It's not like the, uh, like there's the scene with the, uh, with the, uh, when they're playing chopsticks on the giant piano on the floor, like that's a classic scene and you see that clipped all over. But one of the scenes that I think is one of my absolute favorites, and it's one of the scenes that's kind of one of my favorites as an adult, more so than when I first watched this movie. But it's the part where they're in a meeting because Tom Hanks ends up working for a uh, toy company where, yeah. you know, they develop toys and stuff. And they're in a meeting and this guy's pitching this idea for a Transformers like robot. But instead of being like a vehicle and transforming into a robot, it starts out as a building and then transforming in a robot as into a robot, which on paper sounds cool. But then Tom Hanks is sitting there and he like raises his hand and he's just like, I don't get it. And everybody's like, what do you mean you don't get it? He's like, I just don't get it. Like, what's so cool about a building? Like, who wants to play with a building? That's not fun. You know, there's a million transforming uh, robot toys 
let's pick something different. Like, what if it was a bug? Like, you could play with the bug and then it turns into a robot? Like, that'd be so great. And I love that scene because it just, like, epitomizes the idea that, like, if you're into creative stuff, if you want to go into writing, if you want to develop your own comic books, if you want to make your own movies, if you want to go into entertainment, especially entertainment aimed at, like, a younger audience you still have to think like a kid. And I love that scene because it's like, as an adult, it's like this constant reminder that like, you have to get in touch with your inner child to like, remember like, how to make things fun and how to make things engaging. And I, I think that seems like really inspire, inspiring as in like a really profound way, like as I rewatch that movie. So uh, yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts on Big though, Drew. No, that's there's so many great moments. That specific scene, I loved that scene. I love the bit where he's like he's he's like I get paid to play with toys and you see him in his office just playing with toys. <laughs> yeah. Um there's the obviously the piano scene which is probably one of the most famous iconic moments from the movie. But yeah, no, Big's a fantastic film. Um and it's and it's I think it's it's not Tom Hanks's first movie, but I think it's the movie that really cemented him on the map as Tom Hanks. Yeah. At least I really do think so. So, yeah. I love, just lastly, I love that this movie has, like, a cross-generational appeal. Like, this is a movie that, if you see it as a kid, you love it. If you see it as an adult, you love it. And I think that's a big reason why this movie's, like, stood the test of time in a lot of ways, you know? Yeah, I'm with you. Um, All right, man. Um, I'm going to throw this right back at you because I can talk very briefly. Uh, My next pick is Beetlejuice. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So, um, love the movie. Great. Um, I'm going to toss it back at you because I don't know if we need to go any further on Beetlejuice. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know we I, were going to match I, on that one in any way, but that's I awesome. I think Beetlejuice will be a big discussion soon when we see that sequel and we'll be really diving in and all that stuff. But, yeah, if you haven't seen Beetlejuice, it's Halloween time. Everyone needs to start watching, you know, getting back into the idea of watching horror movies anyway. So. <laughs> nice. Um, so, yeah. On to my next pick, um, kind of has a similar vibe as uh, Beetlejuice, but I went with the movie Scrooged. We've talked okay. about this movie a ton. Shortlist for me. Oh, wow. I thought this yep. we were would for sure match about on this one, but we've talked about this movie so much, and this is the uh, sort of modern retelling of uh, A Christmas Carol, and it's starring... Um, uh, why am I forgetting? <laughs> Bill Murray? <laughs> Why am I doing so bad with names right now? Yes, yeah, but Bill Murray. <laughs> that, was a weird, that was like a weird brain fart moment. I don't know what is wrong with me right now. So anyways, yeah, starring Bill Murray in this retelling of this classic tale, but with like a modern twist. And uh, I can't remember who directed this movie. I know uh, Danny Elfman had or did the uh, music. And I love that this movie has... Um, it ha- it really has the feel of like a Tim Burton movie when it comes to the humor and the art direction and the creepy aspects with the uh, ghosts and some of the other imagery. But this movie is just hilarious. Um, 
it has that really memorable imagery where you're it's going to stick with you like you're going to always remember the way that the uh ghost of christmas future is depicted for example and uh there's like a lot of really fun moments when uh i can't remember the character's name but the character who plays the sort of uh jacob marley character I love that uh, there's like the whole bit where he's got like the highball or the eyeball highball where like he's drinking the cocktail and then the eyeball goes into it because he's essentially like a zombie esque character and stuff like that. But we've I feel like we've talked this movie to uh, to death, so I don't want to go on and on too much, but I don't know if you have any thoughts (laughs) thoughts on this one, Drew. (laughs) Um, We talked this movie to death because. Christmas comes up and then it's like, oh, my God, we need to talk about Scrooge or we need to watch the movie. Um, being the Christmas Carol parody, I guess you could say, of the movie, it's it's so good. And I love the dark take of it. Um, I love that they're doing it. It's meta in the sense that they do the Christmas Carol, but they're also producing the Christmas Carol on the show because they're doing a live performance of the Christmas Carol to air on Christmas and stuff. Right. Um, <laughs> And then you throw in all these great cameos from comedians and other actors and stuff like that that are a part of it. So, like, you know, when they're showing scenes from the flashbacks or scenes from the future scenes and, you know, it's seeing uh, Karen Allen in the movie and um, you see some of the other people that Bill Murray has done movies with over and over again. I love the I also love the commercial, too, when they're like, show me the Scrooge, show me the Christmas Carol ad. And he's like, that's not going to make them watch television. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he shows him that, like, really dark, horrific, like, <laughs> nuclear war, acid yeah. rain, violence <laughs> in the streets. <laughs> yeah, I love that yeah. version because so much of it's not even in the story, but you can get the sentiment that he's going for. Um, I also terrorism. do. <laughs> I also do love that they're showing. I kind of forgot about that, but that meta-ness of, like, they're also producing a uh, version of um, A Christmas Carol for TV uh, while this story is taking place. And you have like uh, Mary Lou Retton playing Tiny Tim. And I brought that up because I was kind of laughing at myself because I was like, why can I remember the name Mary Lou Retton? But for some reason, I couldn't remember Bill Murray when I was talking about this movie. And it's like so stupid, but it's just sometimes I think when you're recording, you make dumb mistakes. And it's just like, Bill Murray should roll off my tongue so easily. So sorry not to dwell on that. I just still can't believe that. So. It's all good, man. It's all good. Um, all right. So the next pick for me is um, the movie Rain Man, which actually happens nice. to be the best picture of the year. So that actually made my list for a change. Um, if you've never seen Rain Man, this is about so Tom Cruise plays. He's he's this guy who who has a rich father and finds out that his father had another son. So he has a brother out there that he didn't know about all his life. And his brother is autistic, I believe. Yeah, I believe. I'd have to look that up. I don't know if they actually say autism in the movie. I really don't. But right, I think you're right. It's a, And his brother's played by Dustin Hoffman, and it's all about him getting to know his brother and learning about this part of his, you know, this life that he didn't know. But then he also takes... Dustin Hoffman or uh, the uh, yeah Dustin Hoffman's character to uh, they're they're learning but he also understands because he's autistic he's really good with numbers and card games and memorizing stuff so he takes him to Vegas to like card count to kind of you know score big at the at the casinos yeah 
um, sort of using his brother in a way, like on a selfish level. And his girlfriend's like, this isn't right. You should be doing this, blah, blah, blah. And you have that like, yeah, that moment of um, family is family and all the lessons in there. And, you know, don't use people. And like, there's a lot to the movie, but it's like literally one of the greatest movies ever made. It's incredible. It's incredibly charming and wonderful. And um, uh, I haven't seen it in years, but it is on my shelf. It's a fantastic movie. Um, so yeah, the best picture actually makes my list for a change. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> awesome. that doesn't ha- that doesn't happen very often. Uh, so yeah, Rain Man. Um, I don't know if you've seen it or if you just haven't seen it in a long time, but yeah, I haven't seen it in a long time. But this was a this is a really good call. Um, it didn't make my final list, but it's just one of those things where I just haven't rewatched it enough. And uh, a lot of times these lists are like your personal like what are your favorite picks? But uh, sometimes it's not like that sort of uh, sometimes the best picture doesn't make your list and that's okay. You know, and it's a personal list, but I think it's a good call. And uh, this is a great movie. I just haven't, I, you talking about it. It's one of those things where I'm like, I feel like this should make my list and I need to rewatch it. <laughs> that's kind of what I'm left with sure. with this one. So. All right. Well, what is your next one for the night? Yeah, my next one is another movie that we have talked to literal death, but uh, I went with uh, Die Hard. <laughs> I feel right. like it's every other week we're talking about Die Hard, uh, whether it's a Christmas movie list or whether it's a year list or we're talking about Bruce Willis movies. I don't I actually don't know if we've have we done Bruce Willis movies yet, Um but I think Die Hard is a great it's a great film. It's an awesome action film. It's another one like big like this is a movie that stood the test of time like this is a movie that people keep revisiting and it's not just because of like the christmas connection like this is a just a really really good action movie and i think some of one of the endearing aspects of die hard is how john mcclane feels so relatable like he's yeah he's like a badass cop but he also feels like a guy you could know or be friends with like he he feels so it's so easy to identify with him and maybe that's why it works so well you know like i watched the movie predator and i think arnold arnold's badass and predator but i don't know that i relate to him you know <laughs> like i'm not like right. some badass military man you know but die hard does feel grounded in that really relatable way so uh yeah i don't know if you have any thoughts on this one drew we've talked about it so much so um yeah i don't have anything to add it's die hard it's amazing everyone needs to see it um christmas is coming so we'll all be watching it again (laughs) yep nice um so yeah so my next one is who framed roger rabbit classic Um, did i don't know if we matched on this or not but um this movie is yes it's a classic this is that this is one of those i know disney did a lot of the blending of live action and cartoons and stuff i know that's the case however this is one of those examples where disney uh, where they they did some extra like legwork in terms of making this movie what it was licensing agreements and film tech and that kind of stuff to the point where this movie is actually a <laughs> uh film tech like what's a good word um like wonder i guess like they yeah. like it's it's a it's one of those like marbles like you just look at it and you're like oh my god how they do this it's incredible um and uh it's so well put together it's literally Roger Rabbit's a cartoon character who finds out who his wife is um 
there's a, there's a murder and he's and Roger Rabbit's framed for it and his wife becomes a suspect and like he's trying to dodge it and he gets uh, a detective to help him try and clear his name and the detective hates cartoons and it's it's awesome and then you throw in all the licensing like Warner Brothers and Disney and like throwing in the characters from like all the different places and you're like oh my god what did they do like who's like soul did they sell to get all these things in a movie um probably never happen again but uh this is owned by disney now i actually don't know if it's on um i don't know if it's on uh disney plus or not that's something i have not looked at because i own it on dvd but i have not watched i haven't watched it in a while but i also don't know where it's streaming if it is it'd probably be on disney plus um but this is probably one of the coolest like crime drama movies out there. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to know what else to say, but uh, this is a movie that it's also a movie it's got, talked about a lot, too. So, yeah, it's just it's got the great story. It's got the really cool crime drama mystery aspects. It's got the craft of it. This is a movie that is a insanely ambitious undertaking with the way that they combined um animation with live action so intricately but also when it comes to the way that the animation aspects are depicted like there's some really striking visuals like um the scene where uh there's the scene with the cartoon gun and the uh the bullets are it's probably not the most politically correct but the bullets are kind of depicted as like uh native american bullets but the way that it's drawn like the way it's animated is so striking and so memorable like it's just so awesome to see this level of craft then you have like you mentioned you have a uh, detective valent you have uh, bob hoskins doing an amazing job acting against animated characters that weren't even in the room and just doing such an amazing performance and then you have uh, christopher lloyd being uh, judge doom being like one of the greatest villains ever and again like acting against you know like roger rabbit or like his weasel henchman and uh doing such a good job with characters who weren't even in the room with him like he just had to imagine that they were there and uh it's such a weird quirky story but it was delivered in such a innovative way um for a while i don't know if i would still say this but for a while i actually would point to who framed Roger Rabbit as one of my favorite movies ever. So uh, I think it's awesome that uh, you picked this one, Drew. And um, oh, the last thing I was going to say is it's kind of funny you were talking about Barbie earlier, because I feel like this movie definitely had a huge influence on uh, the Barbie movie as well. So, <laughs> oh, right on. Yeah, right on. OK, your second to last pick. Yeah, for my second to last pick, I actually went with the movie Willow. Um, this is a epic fantasy movie. This is uh, directed by Ron Howard. Um, the story was uh, came, comes from uh, George Lucas, and uh, it has like those cool like Lord of the Rings ties where you see, you know, you have Willow, Willow who's just kind of like this Nelwyn, like uh, aspiring magician, like he. You can see how it has that like Hobbit-esque aspect of like he doesn't necessarily want to go on this adventure, but literally like this uh, human baby is thrown into his lap um, and uh, he has to go on this adventure, you know, and uh, 
I think Willow is so great because it does one of the coolest things that I think a fantasy movie can do, and that's to feel otherworldly. Like, you watch Willow, and it could be on an alien planet, as far as we know. Like, nothing reminds me of, like, my modern life on Earth when I watch this movie. Everything has different names. Like, I said human, but I should have said, you know, Daikini, Nelwins, Brownies, like, all these weird names for these uh, fictitious creatures that have no relation to, you know, my daily life. As far also when it comes to set design, when it comes to landscape, everything feels familiar, but also otherworldly in this really fantastical sort of way. And that's one of the things I love about this movie, but it also has a great story. It's shot really well, but I, I love how, like, the story's so, it gets so dark and gruesome, and you have like Bav Morda, who is such a gruesome, just Bav so a phenomenal evil. villain. <laughs> yeah, she's such an evil character, but in all the right ways, where she really gets under your skin and she looks gross and weird, but she also looks familiar enough to like keep you engaged. And I just think Willow, as a whole, is just a brilliant um, entry into the fantasy genre. Like it's one of the best, and it's. I, I feel like it's a little bit of a theme with my list, but this one stands the test of time as well. You know, it's, it's held up really well over the years. So, yeah. Um, Willow, unfortunately made my short list for the night. Um, but I've talked about my love for the movie. It's probably the movie from this year that I've seen the most. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Good call. Yeah, it probably is. We've talked about it heavily, especially when the show was on, uh, which I still have not finished, but, what bums me out about the show is that it got canceled. So I was like, okay. <laughs> right, that, right. You know. Um, anyway, uh, so that kind of throws back to me for my final pick, and I don't have a lot to say on it because it's Die Hard. Nice. Uh, <laughs> surprise, surprise. That would be my favorite movie from twenty from from nineteen ninety from nineteen eighty eight. Wow, I don't know what year I'm talking about. Yeah, from nineteen eighty eight. Of course, it's going to be Die Hard. And the amount of times that we've talked about it. I really think Die Hard is like that perfect film. Um, when yeah. you look at the script, when you look at how tight it is, when you look at how much time the movie actually covers, it's just this really tightly wound ball of like yeah. a story, and it executes itself so well. There's no plot threads. There's no plot. Like I guess the one plot hole you can ask yourself is the guy who got strangled with the chain, how did he survive? I don't think it matters. It's the final scare <laughs> of the movie. Like Just enjoy it and move on and, you know... <laughs> get excited for new year's so i i love the concept of a perfect film because you, you can say that and people will be like well it's not a perfect film because it's not the greatest movie that's ever been made and it's like sure die hard isn't the greatest movie that has ever been made but with what it's trying to do it is executed so perfectly like you literally couldn't change that film in any way to make it more perfectly execute what it's setting out to do and i feel like that is why it's a perfect film in that way. So uh, Die Hard, Die Hard's great. We've talked it to death. So, <laughs> but but good call. I should have seen this coming since you hadn't mentioned it yet. But <laughs> right. Um, all right, man. What's your final pick? Yeah, you could probably guess from uh, how I was talking about it before. But I went with Who Framed Roger Rabbit. So, um, yeah, it's an amazing movie, amazing piece of craft, and uh, everything. So yeah. Yeah. All right. So we are going to. This movie is on next week. Um, my pick. Um, 
this might require a guest to come on. Um, I have to shore that up for sure. But I was literally like, I think it's time because I wrapped my brain around this. Um, so if she'll come back on if she's free to come on. Um, this might bring Audrey back on. And the reason this might bring her on is because it was this was her idea. Um, OK, and that's and that's why I would like to include her if she can come. Um, but we're going to talk about movies that change their genre mid movie. <laughs> um, OK, the best thing. And do you understand what I mean by that? I mean, my the first place I go is uh, from dusk till dawn. That is the perfect example. Yes, because the movie starts off as one thing and then middle of the movie, it changes and becomes something completely different. So your five can, favorite I, genre flip movies. I can think of one other off the top of my head. I don't know if I know a lot of other ones, though. So hopefully well, I can come up with five. And that's list. and this is like so she so Audrey, who was on the show before, she this was her idea. And when she was explaining it to me, I was like, OK, I got to wrap my brain around this and I got to do some Googling and research. There's more than you think. And there's some that I go, I don't know if I buy it. <laughs> I don't know why you'd put that on the list, but there is there is some decent movies out there to talk about. Some of them we've mentioned we've talked about before, but um, ultimately you'll be able to put a list together for sure. <laughs> OK, nice. <laughs> cool concept, though. Yeah, it is a cool concept. That's that's what I said. I was like, ooh, that's interesting. Let me see if I can actually do five. Can I create five? Like, really? Like, I part of me was like can I do this? Like, will it work? Like, you know, so I really had to kind of dig through and on my free time, like kind of see what I could put together. But yeah. So, so well, keep going. <laughs> no, that was it. That's all I had. I was going to say, so our goal with this episode, with this next episode is to change the podcast genre mid episode. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I don't mm. know how it, that would be done, but. <laughs> well, ooh, interesting. <laughs> Maybe we talk again. About I don't know if we could first. feasibly do it, but huh? we talk about the list first. Maybe we somehow segue into being a crime drama episode. I don't. That's interesting. That's what I was thinking. But then I feel like I don't know where that's going to lead us. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I feel like it would have to be heavily scripted and it wouldn't be like our usual band. <sighs> um, yeah. At any rate. Um, everybody, do us all of a favor and check out our website, top5report.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media, X and Facebook, along with a link to our email, top5report at gmail.com. Uh, we are on Instagram now. I have been trying to post stuff about the episodes. Peter, I don't know if you've actually seen me posting that kind of stuff. I've been trying to do stuff for each episode um, and be a little more active over there. Um, you can, uh, we are on Google Play, iHeartRadio. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Amazon, Audible. You can subscribe to us in those places. If you do, you will not miss a single episode. Um, you can also leave us a review. We love those five stars, but we understand criticism because it helps us get better and it makes the words we say feel important. You can follow me personally on X and Instagram at Drew3927. Peter, what about you? Yeah, you can follow me on X at Ninja Pierre, And that's where I will be asking... Who supplies Edward Scissorhands with his ice blocks? Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) All right, everybody. For the Top 5 Report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And uh, thanks for listening. Have a good night. Mm -hmm.